Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the best football manager podcast on the planet next season? Would you like to be front and centre on the Football Manager Show alongside Tony and Aaron and Steve? Would you like to reach tens of thousands of highly engaged FM players every week? Yeah, of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. On this week's show, we're joined by Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive to tell us how to identify, acquire and nurture wonder kids on Football Manager. The Tactics showroom is open for a display of spithousery and we've got your letters. So let's get started. First off, a bit of admin. As winter draws back and the first buds of spring start to bloom, we've decided it's time for us to take a quick break to go out and smell the flowers. So this will be the last show for a little while. We'll make an announcement down the feed and over social media about when we're back. It sort of depends how much we enjoy going outside, as opposed to staring at a screen in a dark room. But in the meantime, if you want to see the show live and in the flesh, we will be at the Insomnia Gaming Festival at the NEC in Birmingham on Friday the 7th of April. We're on the festival stage at 4pm, and to get tickets, go to Insomnia Gaming Festival. Dot com. That's insomniagamingfestival.com to see the Football Manager Show by The Athletic live. Right, on with the show. That feeling you get when you unearth a generational talent as you nurture them to their world-class potential cannot be surpassed. But is it simply down to luck? Or are there things that we as managers can do to help our production line flourish? To find out, we've enlisted the help of friend of the show, Sports Interactive's Andrew Sinclair. Andrew, welcome to the Football Manager Show. Glad to be back. Happy to talk about, you know, one of the the core elements for every Football Manager fan is, is finding those wonder kids and sort of feeling like a proud father as they kind of come through the, the ranks and hopefully guide you to, to every trophy. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's great to have you on. And yes, Wonder Kids have been requested to talk about. So let's get on to it. First question, I suppose, can we define what a Wonder Kid is? Yeah, so in the game, there is a media description that kind of lists a player as a, a Wonder Kid. The five-star potential is not always the best indication because that's relative to your club and your the ability of your players. So what might be a five-star for you at one level might only be a two- or three-star at another level. So it, it's usually that media description is a, a universal indicator of, of a wonder kid. But 
basically it's somebody who's going to have super high potential and has the potential to be one of the very best in the world in that position. They've got all the raw ingredients in terms of talent as a youngster to become that star player. But of course, they need the nurturing on the way to make sure that they become that sort of Lionel Messi type figure for, for whatever position they might be in. Nice. Now, let's look at getting Wonder Kids via searching for players outside of our club. How do we refine our search parameters for a Wonder Kid hunt? Oh, uh, good question. So the media description is a, it's not a cheap way of getting there, but that is one way to try and find all of them that are in your save game at the moment in time. So if you go to the player search menu and then you customise your search, you can add a filter or a column in that, that is media description. So every player in the game, every player in the database you have loaded will have a media description. So that could just be young winger, experienced midfielder, whatever it might be. But those players who have been labelled as wonder kids, so who are the next whoever in, in whatever position, they will all be in there. And so if you sort that list alphabetically, you'll then find all the wonder kids that are currently in your save. So that's one way to try and identify all of them. But if, if you want to go in terms of a scouting, trying to identify the players, it's about trying to work out a search criteria that's not going to be so narrow that you're not going to find any results, but is going to be broad enough that you, you know, you're going to find the players that you're looking for. So potential-wise, if you're using the recruitment focus, I would always set the potential as like minimum of like four stars because that means you'll get the four, four and a half and five rather than if you set as minimum of five you're only going to be able to find those elite players that you'd probably find through the search anyway. That's one way of doing it. The other sort of way of identifying all the new gens that have come into the game, so if you're looking for new gen wonder kids, that would be if you go to the, I think it's the World Transfers page. I know I'm a, I'm a PC user, so it's Control W. That's the shortcut on my PC. <laughs> so there will be a, um, a world icon. So just next to the football manager icon in the top right, there will be a world icon and then a kind of drop-down menu will happen as well. Yeah. And then you can select world and then transfers. Yeah, and on there you can find every new gen that's come into the game. Uh, so there's still a bit of trial and error. You still need to actually kind of scout those players <laughs> and whatever. But if you know where to look, you know, the clubs and the countries that have a track record of producing star players in the world. So an Ajax, for example, in the Netherlands, their youth academy is prodigious yeah. for the amount of players that they produce and the amount of elite players that they produce, well, you might want to look there first, or you might want to look at, say, Norway, because Norway's got a great production line at the moment of super talented players. I'm sure you guys don't need me to talk about Andreas Scheldrup. <laughs> you know, and you've got even, you know, Martin Odegaard, Erling Haaland, whatever. If you know where to look on that, that's another way to try and identify players. And maybe they're not going to be the absolute, you know, top five, ten players in the game, but they're probably going to be in that, you know, the top 50 that you might see on the, the, the next gen award that you see in game every year. So it's actually a pretty cool thing to do, actually, when you go to the world icon and look at the world transfers, you just go down to youth intake or even youth departures, depending on the club <laughs> that you are. But you can go to youth intake and yeah, you can just scroll through and have a look. Like currently in my save right now, I've got Brentford just got a big intake as well. And I can just simply select all of the players there, right click and then scout them. Absolutely. And it's, uh, again, it's not a cheat. It's not a cheat way of doing it. But, <laughs> you know, it's one of those tools that can save you time rather than just sending them on an, an open ended recruitment focus. 
over to a certain country or a certain region. That might take you a while to try and find some of those players because, yeah. as you see in world football now, every club's trying to find those hidden gems, that that 1% or that one player that might make a difference. So the more tools you as a manager in the game can have to find those players, then, of course, that's absolutely the best the best thing possible. Exactly. And it's, it's not a bad idea to grow your own personal database as well. Because you never know, two years down the line, two seasons down the line, these players that maybe had two stars or three stars potential could actually be decent players two, three years down the line. So you can just grow your own database that way too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like anything that comes with the description of it. It's not technically cheating, but... Um, so, <laughs> again, um, another one I'll put in for Norway as well, by the way, Anders Rister at, uh, at Odd Ball Club, one of our boys. He's excellent. What can we do at the club we're at to try and become a wonder kid factory? Can we grow our own? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So the the quality of new gens that you produce at your club is related to a number of factors. And, of course, a lot of it is down to chance. You can have the best facilities in the world. You can have the best staff in the world. You know, nothing is ever guaranteed, and that's part of the fun of it. But you can definitely improve all the factors going in to increase the likelihood of you producing stronger intakes on a more consistent basis. So, basically, the, the main way of doing it is working with your board and putting in a lot of those board requests to improve your youth facilities, improve your junior coaching, because... You can't employ, I'm sorry, you can't recruit staff for your junior team. So those be, they'd be the teams that are under 15 level and below because those players aren't in the game. But, of course, most clubs, certainly the elite clubs, have got those junior teams that are under 12s, under 13s. And they're the players that are eventually going to form your youth intake at 15, 16. So really, you want to try and make sure that you've got the best junior coaches possible so that those 12, 13-year-olds who might be your new gens in a few years' time are being guided in the best way possible, are receiving the best possible coaching so that they can kind of unlock the potential at 16 that's going to make you say, okay, he could be a really good left-back in the future or he's got the potential of a great holding midfield player. So then you offer them a contract after that youth intake day. And the same goes for the resources. If the players are training in low-quality resources, you know, in a low-quality environment, they're probably not going to progress, and that potential they might have might end up being wasted. Whereas if you've got state-of-the-art facilities, everything they could ask for, and you've got that good coaching, the likelihood of someone who had a bit of ability at 12 or 13 or even 14 then becoming good enough at 16 to join the club, join the youth team, and maybe eventually get to the first team... Is, is higher so yeah really dig into those board requests when you've got a bit of money dig into those things and look at improving the youth facilities improving the junior coaching and, and you know increasing the budgets for those because that's where you can make those sort of um uh, i can't think of the word but sort of additional improvements that that can increase your likelihood of a good intake mm. and does a good head of youth development help that as well yeah so that the head of youth development is more someone they're going to work with i think when they get into the youth team so when they're 15 16 when they almost become a real player in the game and that head of youth development their personality is going to be the thing that rubs off on those youth players the most so you want someone who's great at working with young players of course but you also want someone with the right attitude and the right mindset because if your head of youth development is a very different character and personality to you are, that means that the players are going to have a very, they're going to have a very different working relationship with effectively their boss before they come to you. So if when they then come to you and it's like, oh, you know, Andrew's maybe 
quite a you know a disciplinarian manager whereas the head of youth development could be quite a relaxed person they might not be used to it so then that step up from under 18s under 19s to first team might be a little bit more difficult because the personalities jar or the tactical preferences have jarred so yeah absolutely focus on getting a better head of youth development getting as strong one as you can but make sure you're looking at that personality and their tactical preferences so that really you and them are aligned because you want them to produce the players that you're going to use in a couple of seasons time. So speaking of personality, are there any personality traits that work well in order for the wonder kid to develop themselves or for players already at the club to help mentor them? Yeah. So as football manager players, I'm sure you guys will understand this. You know, we see a player hits that, you know, 30 age and it's like, uh oh, he needs to go. He's too old. Uh, we need to bring in the young guys to replace them. But actually those older players can be really useful for helping your young players develop because they really can be the role models and leaders in the dressing room. They don't have to be playing all the time, but they can be the ones that the young guys are learning from. So if you've got someone who's maybe 32, they're not playing that often, but they've got a driven personality and you put them in a mentoring group with, you know, two 17-year-old wonder kids, those 17-year-olds are going to learn a lot about how to conduct themselves, how to behave, how to, to you know, manage themselves in the dressing room from that older player than they would from someone who's maybe 22, who really maybe has a few more years experience in them, but maybe isn't as mature as they might be or whatever. So in that sense, it's always useful to have a few of the older guys around the dressing room because they can help those young players mature and develop useful traits, you know, about, you know, they, they, you know, they play passes or, you know, the way they play the game because they're learning from someone who's been there, done it and has the right mindset. They maybe have a winner's mindset that's going to help those young guys mature. Whereas without that, they'll just think, oh, well, you know, I'm God's gift to football. I deserve to be playing all the time, this, that and the other. Whereas those guys can kind of keep them on the straight and narrow. So that's one thing we can definitely do. Okay, excellent. So we've got our wonder kid or kids, not guaranteed, of course, that they'll flourish. What else do we need to do to make them the best player he can be? Well, uh, training is one, so individual training. So actually looking at the player, working out where maybe their attributes are deficient, so that stuff, stuff that they need to work on at a young age. Uh, it could be that the attributes they've got don't actually quite fit the position they may be supposedly most natural in at 16. So you might be able to look at them and go, well, He's marked down as an attacking midfield player, but really I think he might be better suited deeper. Or maybe he could be out wide as like a wide playmaker because you don't need the pace there to be useful, but you know we could train him in a different position. So you can get in really early when they're more impressionable, more likely to learn things and make those adjustments. Again, we touched on the junior coaching, making sure that the, the staff working with your young players are really good and are really skilled and have the right personalities because... If you've got a fairly weak coaching set up in the youth team, they're not going to be able to steer those players in the right way. So that's something else. And then I suppose the other one, and this is more of a less of a specific thing that you can do. It's more a thinking item is actually having a plan for that wonder kid. So it's looking at your squad and going, OK, this kid's got really a bright future ahead of them. Would they be better off going on loan somewhere now, maybe 17, and having a season playing in League One or League Two, where they're going to learn a lot, they're going to get regular minutes, whatever? Or would they be better off staying here? Can I offer them a better education within my club than they can elsewhere? And then it's about when they're maybe 18, 
okay, well, they're in the first team now, but I can't expect them to play 90 minutes every week because they don't have the experience, they don't have the knowledge, you know, they might not be able to deal with the big matches. So it's it's working out a plan for bedding them into the first team and then ensuring that basically by the time you want them to be a first-choice starter every week, they're capable of being first-choice starter every week. Now, it's, you know, having a plan, you know, whether that's something written down, whether that's using the squad planner, whether that's just something in your head, it's absolutely important to think about because I know I've been guilty in the past of what I call the magpie effect. Where I'm like, oh, a winger. And then I realise I've got nine of them and my wonder kid is fifth in the pecking order and he's not going to get any minutes. Buy all the wonder kids, by all means, but make sure that you've got a plan for how they're eventually going to become first team players because otherwise they'll kind of fester. I actually want to ask you a question about loans because I think I watch many people play football manager, but it's not something that I've seen people actually consider. So, for an example, in my football manager game right now, I'm looking at Zach Orr under Arsenal's under 21s. He's 18 year old, but my coach says that his current ability is good player for most guy bet championship size. Now, when I'm looking to loan a player, do I just accept any loan offer, or is it actually best for me to look at a loan that's playing currently at his ability? Does basically loaning a player to a team lower than his ability affect his development? Yeah, it's a good question, really, because ultimately the thing that's going to help a young player develop the most is minutes and playing time. And although they might be a good player for most Skybet Championship teams, there's a lot more pressure in that division than maybe League One. So if they're going to a decent championship team who are trying to battle for the playoffs or maybe a lower championship team who are battling against relegation, that's going to test their hidden attributes. How do they fare in in important matches? Do they like those big occasions? What's their consistency like? How do they, you know, and if you're if that team's on a bad run, is the young player going to be the first one who gets dropped because they think, well, you know what, we need to just bring in someone experienced who knows what they're doing, who's been there before. Whereas League 1 maybe it's less pressure, but that player might get more time on the ball because the game's not as fast a pace maybe they're more likely to play every week and they're not going to be dropped. You've got to think about a club too where maybe a manager might be likely to change. You know, there are some clubs in the game and some clubs in real life that change managers a lot. And while the manager who might be there in August might absolutely love your young player, if they get sacked in November and then they bring in someone else who's like, I'm not going to play young players, I want to play experienced players, well then in January you might be having to recall that player and your planned season of development has been derailed. So I know sometimes we're keen to just try and get them out and make sure they're on a loan and even if that means taking no wages, we'll do it. But it's important to really think about that player's development when you're doing that. And I think why, and this is sort of where FM tries to reflect real life as much as possible, that's why you're seeing more and more senior clubs now have loan managers They have development pathway guys who actually look at these young players and they try and foster relationships with EFL clubs or non-league clubs that they trust and respect so that, you know, okay, well, he was at you last season and now he moves to the team in the division above that we know and trust and whatever because they want their guys to develop. So if they can develop their own pathway of, okay, well, this is the National League team we work with, this is the League Two team, whatever, then that can be a real positive way and I think FM's moving in that direction with loan managers and suggested loans and development centre and that kind of thing Nice I think that all sort of makes a lot of sense particularly with the the club affiliates I think but yeah, Andrew we've all been guilty of this okay collecting every little wonder kid that's available hoovering them up (laughs) as you've touched upon it there you've got 
nine wingers, your, your wonder kids fifth in the pecking order. It's tempting, isn't it, to just go after them all. But is it better to have a plan? Let some of them go. Yeah, or just don't sign all of them in the first place. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's hard as it might yeah, be. Exactly. I think you know, I you know, the, the Dusseldorf save that I, I've I've had going, I've brought in some Wonder Kids, but I was also conscious that if I have eleven super talented nineteen year olds, that's not really gonna help me against a Bayern Munich or a Borussia Dortmund who have got ten players who are already world class. You know, and that that's the difference. Just because they have five star potential, that doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to be starting every week right now. So hoarding them all isn't always the best idea. And, you know, my feeling has always been the Wonder Kids lovely, they're great, but can they contribute now? Like that has to be your primary concern as a manager because you might get fed up with a save after that season, or you know, you might get sacked, as we spoke about last week, or you know, that kind of thing. So Really, I would say try and have a plan. And although they're lovely and shiny and exciting, I would maybe say buy less, but less could be more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I honestly couldn't agree more. <laughs> couldn't agree more. Make sure you have a plan with these wonder kids because I've had to save myself where I've just bought, oh, wonder kid, oh, wonder kid. And then it gets like a, a year and I'm like, I'm losing. I'm like, hmm, I didn't think this save through at all. <laughs> so yeah, I've been making um Twitter threads of wonder kids that you might not know about. That's personally how I find my favourite wonder kid in Football Manager. But Football Manager themselves have released a tweet of the most uh, used and signed wonder kids. Who do you think yourself is the best wonder kid on this year's Football Manager? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> that's really hard. Well, I know Shoulder Up is the most signed player in FM this year. Yeah. And, you know, even though he's at Benfica now, he's still, I think he's 10th most signed since the the, gen, uh, the March update. But I think of the guys that I had at Dusseldorf, some of them were new Gen Wonder kids. Yeah. So there's no point me saying Carlos Guerra, my Portuguese DM, because he's not real as much as I would like him to be. <laughs> um, he was a reliable foot soldier. Um, however, I think the best one I have had this year uh, would be a young striker who is at Utrecht in the Eredivisie called Tyne den Bogander. Uh, he's a striker. He can play in various positions, whatever. Uh, but I think at the moment in my Dusseldorf save, he's 21 and he's got 17 finishing. And he got 34 goals in the Bundesliga for a team that came fourth. So he was... Very, you know, very impressive player. He was someone I was able to get a couple of seasons in. So I think he's, you know, he's only 17 when you start the game. So he, he's someone that I have personally enjoyed an awful lot. But I know that, you know, Alex Scott of Bristol City has been really popular. I know, of course, you know, shoulder up Jude Bellingham, of course. I don't even know if he's still a wonder kid, given that he's, you know, one of the best midfielders in the world. It's sort of that label feels a little bit redundant. <laughs> there's there's a lot of talented ones out there but the the Dutch guy is someone I would say I've really enjoyed a lot I probably butchered his name but he is someone I really enjoyed <laughs> because he's someone I'd not heard of before playing you know FM23 and I think that's the fun thing with Wonder Kids okay there's the new gen ones that aren't real even though I think they are but the ones that do exist and you're like oh he was really cool I'd never heard of him before and then two three years time you know, it's that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where you're like, I know him. So, yeah, I think he he's definitely been the most fun one for me this year. What about you guys? Yeah, I, funny enough, because I was actually going to ask a question as well. Uh, my favourite one, the kid, I think it, it changes during saves because I'm, there's always a player in football manager that just 
decides to do well for you. They might not have the greatest attributes, but there might be a, a striker in the game that just always scores goals for you. I mean, he's he's 21 now, but for me, it was Adam Eder. I mean, the guy was just literally ridiculous. He's unstoppable. Unstoppable. Have you got a favourite one, the kid Tony? Yeah. I got Lords down in, in Scottish League One. Uh... <laughs> there is one other person that I have loved in this FM and I found last FM. So... Uh, every year when we do the data update, I do a piece for the Football Manager website about the most improved players in the data update. So last year, when I got the information through from our research team, there was a young lad playing in Denmark who had entered the database for the first time because he'd only just turned 16. Uh, but that meant in terms of current ability, he'd had the biggest boost of anyone because he was plus 105. So, of course, I saw him and was less like, oh, well, technically he's the most improved player. So he's absolutely going in my list. And that is a chap called Rooney Bargy, who plays for Copenhagen. He is a special boy, and he was good in FM22. He's improved in FM23. Uh, you know, from 22 to 23, he improved because he was playing for Copenhagen. He played in the Champions League uh, last year. And Copenhagen had a game in the Champions League last year where they finished the game, I think it was with six teenagers on the pitch against Sevilla. So he's part of a real kind of youth revolution at Copenhagen at the moment. And then he had another boost in the data update in March. Uh, and he was already incredible for my Dusseldorf team. He got me out of many a hole in that campaign. And he's now starts off, I think it's 12 CA higher than he was even at the start of FM23. So he is someone that I erroneously forgot about when you asked me first, but has come to mind <laughs> since. And uh, if you saw the piece we did do about the most improved players on the uh, and the, the accompanying asset that we shared on social media. It was Mitoma and Ferguson from Brighton and then that special boy from Copenhagen. So big love for Rooney Bargy as well. Ferguson. If, I'm, honestly, if anyone's listening and you just want to play about on Football Manager, just have a fun save. Honestly, prick Brighton and play Ferguson every single game you can. The boy is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I uh, in my save last season, I actually had Bargy as a thirty-year-old and, and Ferguson up front as well. So yeah, I'll I'll play yeah. <laughs> that Not as one of the kids obviously <laughs> signed up at the end of their career. That's what I'll do. <laughs> um, so uh, let's start wrapping this one up. Uh, obviously, not all Wonder Kids make it. Is it down to them? Is it down to bad luck, or or is it my fault? And I guess is there anything else we should probably mention? Is it a cop out to say it's a bit of all three? Uh, because you know, as we see in real life, there are some players with all the talent in the world and it just doesn't work out. That could be because, you know, the clubs they were at didn't give them the opportunities or didn't build that pathway that we were talking about. So they didn't arrange loans at the right time. They didn't make sure the coaching staff were right for them. It could be that the managers they worked with, they fell out with completely and they just, you know, they were never able to build those relationships. It could be because as a personality, they maybe didn't have the application to push themselves you know they had the raw ability but they didn't have that dedication to, to be the best you know or it could be one of those intangible things that they had agents giving them bad advice and negotiating moves for them that weren't right and they ended up being in the wrong place at the wrong time and they weren't able to be the best version of themselves so really every wonder kid is an individual case which is sort of why i would say try and sign three or four that you know you can dedicate and invest your time into in a save because when you sign loads of them, you can't necessarily focus on all of them. And then some of them won't perform and you'll just go, oh, he's rubbish. He's terrible. And it's like, well, actually, <laughs> if you'd had the time to invest in them and work it out, maybe their fickle personality could have been changed to something a bit more 
suitable for the first team through those mentoring groups, through working with those older players that I was talking about. Or it could just be that they needed more playing time. And, and in the end, you had three Wonder Kid strikers in a 4-3-3. So they're fighting for a third of the minutes, which means they're never going to develop in the way that you want them to. So I would say treat them all on an individual basis, which I'm aware is a bit of a cop-out answer. But that's sort of the fun of FM, because if you treat them all as their own sort of sentient individuals, that's when you kind of form those really fun relationships with those players. It might be a cop-out, but I think it's the perfect answer, Andrew. um, (laughs) Andrew Sinclair, as always, from Sports Interactive, thank you very much. No worries, happy to help. The Tactics Showroom is open for business this week, and since it's the end of term, we're going to give Tony Tactics a go. Me? Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Right, okay. So... Obviously, Aaron, you're known for free-flowing football. Um, <laughs> I am known for one thing and one thing only. So we are going to have a little look at spithousery, the dark Ooh. arts, the low block, time-wasting. Oh, parking the bus. I love it. I love it. <laughs> let's do it, shall we? Oh, I'm excited. Okay, Tony, let's go. Right, okay. So what's really interesting is you've got Arsenal load up for this. <laughs> this is this is we're going back to one nil to the Arsenal days, right? Yes. We're not doing the Wenger or the Arteta era. We're going back to one nil to the <laughs> Arsenal. Okay. So first off, what I think I would do is I'm gonna go with my uh my setup is gonna be goalkeeper on defend, not a sweeper keeper, modern nonsense. <laughs> not bothered with that. I want my keeper on the line and I want my defenders on the six yard line, possibly as well. So I'm gonna go with uh full Fullback on automatic for now on my right-hand side. So my right-back, I think, fullback automatic. Um, the reason being that I want them to basically follow the instructions more than to think for themselves at this point. I want my two centre-halves to be nothing more than centre-backs who play on defend. So again, nothing too uh, fancy. And then I've my left-back, I've got a full-back on support. So they might actually get a little bit further up, and the reason for that will become apparent in a second. When you look at the winger who's just in front of him, the left winger is going to be left winger on attack. Now, uh, this obviously depends upon the sorts of players that I've got. I'll either flip it around if my left side's stronger than my right side. I'll play a winger on attack uh, either side, really. Um, my right winger, however, I think I've got a winger on support. But sometimes I do like a defensive winger on support now, a player who will get back and do a little bit more tracking to help that fullback out, particularly if they're a weak link maybe in my team. So if we are looking to be a little bit tighter, I'll have him as a defensive winger. But let's just keep him as a a winger on support for now, I think, Aaron. Uh, And then the two across the middle, my two central midfielders, because, of course, it's a 4-4-2. Why would it not be? (laughs) Um, My my right-hand side player, my right-hand side central midfielder, I've got a DLP on support, a deep-line playmaker on support, and then I've got a ball-winning midfielder on support next to him. Now, this is if I'm playing a standard four across the middle, okay? I have been known to drop those two central midfielders back Ooh. a notch. Because, you know, let's not go forward. We don't want to score any goals, really. <laughs> um, and at that point, if I play them a little bit deeper, I like I like a half-back on my left-hand side. So a half-back. Ooh. My left hand side, so again, they're going to drop again into that, uh, help out those center backs, and then I like a Segundo Volante right next to him. Ooh, that's a nice balance, it's a nice balance, isn't it? It's a little bit, it's very, very defensive. So maybe you might have to stick with the ball winning midfielder and the DLP, but if I'm going properly, like let's try and 
get as many men behind or in front of the ball as we possibly can. That's what I do. I do a little bit more yeah. defensive. And then up front, I've got on the left-hand side, I've got a pressing forward on support. Could be a pressing forward on defend, because again, I like that in this, <laughs> uh, in this current FM23 match engine. Does a little bit different work from a, from a deep line forward, but does complement that winger on attack. So if the balls do go long, they'll drop, the pressing forward will drop a yeah. little bit on defend, or they'll work those channels uh, as opposed to just a standard uh, advanced forward and up there with them i like a poacher i like a poacher. i know it could be a, an advanced forward but i do like a poacher basically picking the scraps up and just running the channels a little bit more with uh rather than being the, the six yard fox in the box they used to be they do a little bit more on uh on this uh, match engine I, if i've got the players a target forward's always handy as well and it's just a big <laughs> lump to whack it forward to because we're hoping to soak up a lot of pressure and then the ball's going to be basically pinged out to these these two players are going to be our our outlet so maybe actually now i'm saying that out loud let's change the pre- the poacher to uh to an advanced forward let's change that so they are going to be our our out that we're looking for in terms of tactical style i am going to go with uh i'm going to change it from uh custom and i'm going to make it a direct counter attack because let's face Ooh. it we don't want anybody actually uh touching the ball and if we, really, <laughs> we have to <laughs> Um, I do like the cautious mentality on on this on this game and how it works. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Again, if you've not used cautious, it's more risk versus reward, which I guess is sort of like the phrase of, of FM twenty three. Really, we're not going to ping the ball unless unless it's the right ball. You know, you don't just want to aim balls, aim, like soak up the pressure, then just fire balls out. Yeah. So that cautious mentality works a little bit better for me, to be honest. Uh, we are, of course, going to go direct because. Um, yeah, we're not we're not ticky tacker on the way out at this point. We can't do that. <laughs> the tempo will be slightly higher as well because again, we're looking to break quickly. We've got set pieces that are ticked automatically. This is obviously just the presets that we've got right now. Set pieces are ticked automatically. It's that can be quite handy because you want to just obviously get the ball out in the opposition area. If you've got your pressing forward running the channels, you know, yeah. win a free kick and then you, you can bring yourself back up the pitch. Standard width seems about right to be honest as well. Occasionally I have ticked to be more disciplined, again, because we don't want to be sort of throwing ourselves all over the place. We want to hold our shape, essentially, so be a bit more disciplined. That's sort of where I'd have that right now. If we go to transition, I mean, we've got their counter-attack. That's, yeah, it's exactly what yeah. we want, to be honest. We need that. <laughs> we need to get forward quickly. at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do we know, Aaron? Do we have to? <laughs> And then it got to distribute quickly there. Yeah, sometimes I think you could probably click. Uh, you could click regroup rather than counter press. Yeah, um, just to make sure you are sat in in those banks. So those of you uh, listening, when you are creating tactics, what manager sometimes it, uh, in the in the design when you're creating tactics, when you're selecting, for an example, counter press, then it will show arrows going forward and the directions that your players could be going in if you're using counter press. And then it's got regroup and it shows the two strikers and the full uh, the wide wingers dropping deep, getting back, helping defensive, which is showing Tony that these are the sort of players and this is what they're going to do. When you lose the ball, these sort of players will drop back and get back into the defensive position. In terms of distribution, I haven't really got a specific area I like to distribute the ball to. It could be the flanks. It could be a target man. It depends upon the type of player that I've got, really. Uh, yeah. to be honest. But usually we'll just leave it blank and let the goalkeeper work out where it's going or the defenders to work out where it's going. Put a little bit of trust in them. Go, right, you've got the ball. Now, look up. Can you launch it? Um, <laughs> If we then go to the outer position instructions, look at this. Look how beautiful this is. If you're not watching this on YouTube, by the way, get yourself onto YouTube, search for The Football <laughs> Manager Show by The Athletic, have a little look at the video and see these two lines 
as low and together as they could possibly be. The low defensive line and the low block line of engagement. Aaron, I've, you, you, I can't see a sight better than this, surely. <laughs> this scares me, Tony. It scares me. <laughs> There's literally not a single player in the opposition's half looking at the, uh, the design again. It's a low block. The two strikers are literally on the halfway line. His back line is obviously on the edge of his own box as well. Of course, we are reducing the space in between. So it's going to be fairly difficult if everyone's doing their job correctly. It's going to be fairly difficult to be broken down, which is the point on this, of course. But just for me, my preferences absolutely scares me not having an opponent or having our player in the opposition's half when they have the ball. And, and this you know is no what? pressing. <laughs> I get that. I totally get that because you're right. We're not pressing. I mean, it does say there the default is to sit with trigger press more often. We're not really pressing because we are in that regroup. I guess we could take regroup off and they're naturally gonna gonna go towards the ball, but they're also gonna be a little bit more hesitant. Is that right? Exactly. So the trigger press is more so uh, when you're in your settled uh, your settled defensive position, and it's how willing do you want your players to be leaving their defensive positions to close down the ball, basically. And in a, in a setup like this, you don't really want to go to standard or less often because statues, you don't want to, at the same time, you don't want to be statues and players standing forward. So even though the trigger presses are more often, you can also look at the area that Tony's players has to work in. It's not a great area. So it's not as if the left winger is all of a sudden then going to move from his left winger and go all the way to the opposition's fullback to try and press because he's still operating in his low block. So he's still going to be deep. But when the ball is sort of in his area, then Tony has given them the license to go and try and win the ball back and put some pressure on the opponent. And with pressure, we do have get stuck in ticked as an automatic. Now, <laughs> that depends on your players because can... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a risky one. It's a risky one. But if it works well, you want those players to be hustling on the ball. You don't want the opposition to have time when they get it. Yes, you want them to come at you but you want them to be able to challenge, get up for their headers, get those elbows out. That's what we want. Give a little shirt pull here and there, get in people's faces, you know, hurry them out of position. So yeah, if you want to, you know, throw a little, little kick here and there, get stuck in, but be warned, you might give away a few free kicks and penalties while you do this. So you might want to keep your eye on that. Sometimes take, get stuck in off. So that is Tony tactics and the art of spithousery. If you want to get your tactic reviewed on the Tactics Garage, make sure you send us a screenshot. Tweet us at RDF Tactics, at Tony Jameson. And more importantly, tell us what's wrong with your tactic. And we can have a look at it on the Tactics Garage. And now it's time for our correspondence, which means we can welcome producer Steve. Hello, producer Steve. How are you? Tony and Aaron, hello. Welcome to the end of term. Hello. Term toy day, mate. Toy day. <laughs> wearing, wearing out of school uniform. We've got the tape on of a film in the lesson. It's all Tony's doing the tactics showroom. It's all better off. <laughs> it's all <gone> <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought it was. I mean, obviously, it was very much in your milieu, Tony, which feels like a far too cultured word to use in the context of the dark arts of spithousery and agricultural football, as well they call it. But still, as someone who wouldn't necessarily use that naturally it was um good to know if i might need it at some point in future or good to know what my enemies are doing i think it's like everything isn't it you know you 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 need to prepare for all eventualities and at some point you might need to to pull a little bit of dark arts out exactly it's a bit like in those people who sort of prepare for i don't know a zombie apocalypse by having a bunch of like (laughs) you know tins of food (laughs) 
or that sort of thing. You know, cans of petrol to sort of in case civilization collapses in some way. So, uh, are you suggesting that I'm the football manager equivalent of a doomsday prepper? That's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going more with martial arts. Like, you learn it so you need never use it. That's what I was going with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Anyway. Have we had any correspondence, Steve? Yeah, we'll go down. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, we've had a few on the, the, uh, the Twitter. So we've had one from Tom RH. He's at Tom RH10. Tom is a Brighton in the new save, but in all my saves, I've previously struggled against Liverpool. Any tactics that you rate to sort of make me more competitive in this? And I think Tom is talking about this specific situation. So, Tony, I imagine you're probably slightly tactitated out at the moment. So if I may, I might ask Aaron this in terms of like what's, first of all, what in football manager terms is Klopp's Liverpool? And then how would, with a Brighton team, how would you counteract that? So Klopp's Liverpool in football manager is a 4-3-3, Gegen <laughs> many of our go-to uh, systems and there's, the way he plays it though is very impressive, especially with the players that Liverpool got and many of us have to remember this is the Liverpool from possibly last year who are a very good team. It's almost, you're almost asking how to beat one of the best teams in the world, which is always going to be a very difficult job to do. But what you can do is of course, help yourself. And one way that I do it is if they they mainly line up in a 4-3-3. I kind of match them. And I wouldn't go 4-3-3 necessarily, but I'll go for a 4-5-1. So it's a 4-3-3, but just more defensive with the two attacking wingers drop down into midfield uh, positions. And I try and match them, try and mark them out of the game. And you're going to need a big, <laughs> a big stroke of luck. And actually, Tony got something very interesting in his tactic. Play for set pieces is one way. You're going to be pushed back a lot. So it's one way to get your big guys further forward. And it's one way you can also win a game as well. A set piece, a corner, a free kick. It could be anything. You will probably struggle to beat Liverpool pretty. That's interesting, especially as well as, as we discussed earlier in this episode. Brighton have your man Evan Ferguson. So I'm, I can't yeah. remember precisely whether he fries as, say, a target forward or that sort of thing. But certainly more of a centre-forward type role gives you that focal point as well. I think that, uh, unless there's anything else, Aaron, that works nicely. And Tom, I hope that helps. I believe you've got another correspondence for us, Aaron. Yes, from Graham. Hey guys, a little closer to home again, but what about taking on the Europa Conference League with clubs from a nation like Ireland? Obviously, a natural starting point may be to begin with a bigger team like Shamrock Rovers or Derry City, but win a trophy, a European trophy, as the goal of the save. Be hard that, wouldn't it? Very difficult. (laughs) Very. They start right at the start. And very quickly could face like quite a big team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You almost, how many years are you going to give yourself? Yeah. Because it's almost like build a nation, right? There's like a, a popular game or popular challenge where you're building a nation, trying to get a nation from the bo- bottom to the top. But it's almost like you're going to have to build a nation one way or another because you're going to have to improve your club so much to be able to compete in Europe and get a European trophy. So I've, it's going to be a lengthy one, that one. I've done like Scandinavian challenges before and they've got a slightly higher rep than, than, than the League of Ireland. And even then, when you win the league in Norway or Sweden or Denmark, you're still getting battered <laughs> in the early stages of the Europa <laughs> Conference League. And this is with teams who've previously had Champions League experience. This is a big ask. Even I'm looking at this. It's <laughs> also, um, bear in mind too, um, just to clarify a bit more, Aaron is talking about in terms of building a nation. That's specifically so for this one, because we're talking about the League of Ireland, it would be the talent pool 
for the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. So as you say, Aaron, in terms of getting your talent, because also the best Republic players from the Republic of Ireland tend to end up elsewhere. So England is the main yeah. place, Scotland. Interestingly, since Brexit, a lot of young Irish players have gone to like Italy, for example. Yeah. So that's that, that you'd have to it'd be a sort of quasi, as you say, build a nation, save improving Irish footballers. Also a challenge for you to keep yours as well, your best footballers. I mean, how many actually, for those those who sort of have never done a build nation before, guys, how many seasons do you roughly give yourself to sort of um, do that? How long's a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> the problem as well with, with this challenge is that it's not just winning a European trophy. That's difficult enough. But in order to win the European trophy, you've got to keep being in those European positions in the league. So you're not only being Shamrock Rovers, for example, and going, right, let's win Europe. You've still got to be competing at that top level in the league to get into Europe. So that's what makes it even more difficult. For me, this challenge will be a little bit difficult. Of course, we are looking for fun, but we are happy to hear more suggestions. So keep those emails coming and that correspondence. Rowan Zeely has got in touch on Twitter. He is at Rowan Zeely and has said, been thinking about your search for a star Kingston challenge. Remember producer Steve's comments about the name Smith being the most common name in England. How about a Smiths United search for a star challenge signing only players named Smith? Rowan. You can't see the face I'm pulling on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a feeling that would be like a surprisingly good team. I just don't know. I don't know why. I just think, yeah. But the question is, so in terms of parameters, Steve, I'm going to do your job at this point. I'm going to do the logic. (laughs) That means you have to start with a team, sell anybody who's not called Smith and only buy players called Smith. So you could, you don't want to take, charge of an Arsenal, for example. Oh, and you've got Smith. Called, yeah, you've got one Smith, but you don't want to oh. <laughs> only have, like, get rid of all your good players and just keep one Smith. You'd need to start at my level, where most of the players probably are called Smith, and build up. Because also, are we then including, say, I don't know, um, obviously Double Barrel, because as, as Aaron alludes to, Emil Smith, Rowwood would count. Yeah. If someone's called Blacksmith as a surname, for example, or whatever... I say that counts. And also the search would bring it up anyway. Just because the search brings it up doesn't mean it's right as we worked out in previous chances. (laughs) (laughs) Smith United, of only players named Smith. Well, I'm actually doing some work on Football Manager and I've actually just... You start, Aaron started. Aaron has started this challenge already. There we go. Okay. (laughs) So I'm just checking which team actually has the most Smiths in it. And I'm looking at the big clubs. Arsenal actually have two. Uh, Matthew Smith, Emil Smith, Rowe and... Yeah, so we're actually, we've, like, if you're looking at the big clubs, we're the one with two. We're the only one with two. Of course, some haven't got any, but if you want to go to Scotland, Hamilton have Jamie Smith, Connor Smith, Lewis Smith as well, which sounds funny. And that's pretty much, Man City got Isaac Smith. This feels like the Ross County Challenge where most of the players are called Ross, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> we could do this. We, actually, now I'm thinking about it, we could do this because then you've got players like Alex Smithies would show up. Yes, in the there's yeah. There we so go. get around yeah. that. So as always, thank you for your correspondence. And as we've mentioned, the Football Manager Show is going on a spring break. If you want to see more Football Manager Show in your life, then come and see us live 
as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be at the Insomnia Gaming Festival at the NEC in Birmingham on Friday the 7th of April. We're on the festival stage at 4pm. To get tickets, go to insomniagamingfestival.com. That's insomniagamingfestival.com to see the Football Manager Show by The Athletic live. Otherwise, enjoy the break and we'll speak to you soon. And that was the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. Your guest today was Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive. Your co-host was RDF Tactics. Your producer was producer Steve Hankey. And I am Tony Jameson. Take care. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. The Athletic.